Good morning. Happy Easter. The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Happy Resurrection Sunday. My name is Bauer Evans. You may know that, or if you're new to us, either by stream or you're here today, we're glad you're here. And I serve as the lead pastor, and it's my privilege to welcome you and extend on behalf of not only our church family, but my entire family, um, a warm greeting this Easter Sunday. A couple of announcements, uh, and there are more than one, so thank you for your patience. Um, first, um, thank you for not only your faithful, generous, and um, really faith-filled giving to this ministry. Um, as you observed when you drove in today, there's a building next door that is about half there now as we've been preparing you for that reality uh, and really planning some of these projects for almost uh, probably the last six to eight months. Um, the demolition began this week, and this Tuesday a large crane will arrive which will begin to, with some skillful framers, begin to rebuild the roof uh, that was structurally compromised. So uh, we'll be taking pictures uh, as we go along, but um, that wasn't an accident. And there we go. And we didn't experience an earthquake like what you read in Scripture this week, if you're following the narrative count. That's intentional so that we can build, rebuild a parsonage that will endure for quite some time. Having said that, we'll take a building fund offering on April 25th to continue to um, finance those projects and some of the capital projects we do here. Secondly, I'm very excited for this announcement. Next Sunday, next Sunday, outside, we will be resuming children's ministry. I'll be one of the teachers there. And so for the kids, I hope you'll join us. That is a cold or warm event, not a rain or shine event, but a cold or warm event, meaning if it's like today, that's warm enough by New England standards to meet, I'm told, and so we will be outside. We're going to be celebrating what we're talking about today, the resurrection of Christ all month in children's ministry, so join us. Uh, I believe there's a slide. You need to re-RSVP if you're a parent and child communicate with us your intent to come. We can have up to 20 kids out there, I think, according to the Board of Health, but we'd still like to know you're coming so we can plan and um, and serve you effectively. That's going to be awesome. There's also a children's ministry verse and an activity and curriculum for this month at the table in the back uh, for parents and children alike. Last but not least, uh, we're kicking off this week what we're calling a month of prayer uh, Dave uh, announced this, if not last Sunday, this Thursday at Maundy Thursday, and it's a desire on our part as a church to take the month of April and spiritually refocus, reset, and be revitalized through corporate prayer, um, both our asking of God, but also our waiting on Him um, and the ministry He brings when we gather to pray. So if you want to participate in that, stay uh tuned with the emails that the church uh, is sending out beginning on Monday, and uh, join us as we together ask God for his grace this spring together. Finally, and Jim, I believe we have a picture of this, there are two books I want to bring your attention to. One's free, 
and one's not. That's an important distinction. Uh, let's start with the free book. The free book is the blue one on the left. In the lobby, it's brown, but that's okay. Blue, brown, they all kind of blur together. Um, and that's by Lee Strobel, entitled The Case for Easter. It's an excerpt of his larger work, The Case for Christ. I've read it. It's exceptional. And particularly for people who are exploring Christianity and are honest about their skepticism, Lee does a wonderful job acknowledging your skeptical questions and leading you, as God led him, um, through those questions using scripture as well as evidence to appeal that the case for Christ is a plausible one. It's excellent. The one on the right, which is red, that's not for free, uh, but that is in our uh, bookshop. Uh, this is Tim Keller's latest, Hope in Times of Fear, the Resurrection, the Meaning of Easter. And why it's significant, it's written by a man who is suffering from pancreatic cancer and most likely will not survive this second bout. And so if he is Kathy, I've wrestled with it's coming back more intense than it was the first time in 2015. He wrote very clearly from Scripture the glorious hope we have as Christians when you're faced with the reality of death and the unthinkable cancer as a 70-year-old man serving people in New York City. I heartily encourage it. I'm devouring it. That's not free, but that is in the bookshop, and we sell it at a loss. Be blessed as you take it up and read. Let's turn in our scriptures to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 24, excuse me, in a message I've entitled A Living Hope. We're going to read the first 12 verses of Luke's account of the first Easter Sunday and then offer some brief reflections as we celebrate the remarkable grace highlighted in these passages. This is God's word. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This ends the reading of God's word. 
Let's pray, and as we do, I want to pray for uh, Trish and her extended family as they mourn the passing of Leah, a believer in the Lord, but a loss that was unexpected and sudden. I also want to pray for Harry, who's probably watching right now. If you follow us on our prayer uh, at Crossway, you know he has a severe eye infection. This is not conjunctivitis. This is much more serious, and his doctors um, are attending to him. He's at Mass General this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we, we pray, Father, we lift our voices together in prayer with the risen Christ that you would now send your spirit and bring comfort. Bring comfort, Lord, to Leah's husband, Trisha's siblings, extended family. Bring the comfort that Jesus, you uniquely can bring to people who are suffering loss and experiencing pain. And yet, by your grace, Lord, there is hope, the hope of Christ near and in many of them. So may your comfort, Lord, bring, bring your mercy near this day. We also pray for our brother Harry as Karen asked us to pray. And Lord, we pray that you would give to the doctors a clear and, and accurate diagnosis of the source of this infection that now is lodged deep in the center of his, his eye. Lord, that the medicines would decrease the swelling and the pain and restore the vision and the treatments, Lord, that he is receiving by the careful, gifted specialist there at Mass General, Lord, would bring healing. We also ask for the supernatural work of the Spirit, God, that you would heal our brother, restore his sight, and fill him with the joy, the joy of Jesus today, even as he celebrates Easter where he never expected to be. Lord, but you are there, and therefore encourage his soul, we pray. Meet us now, Lord, through your word. Anoint now the preaching of your word. Illumine our minds by your spirit that we would have ears to hear, that we might be strengthened and informed, corrected and made confident in every good work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wanted to begin the story of this first Easter morning with a story that will make sense to children, but I trust for some of us who are adults, makes sense to us too. When I was a younger person than I appear to be today, there were certain rooms in my parents' house that when I was alone, I was afraid to go into. The doors in those rooms had strange noises when you opened them. Those rooms were often dark, like not in the finished basement, but in like the storage area of the basement where there's crawl spaces and spider webs where you have career spiders building their nests there. 
and squirrels or other vermin that lived there. There were rooms that were often dark in my home when I was even a teenager that I didn't like to go in. I was scared. It's hard when you're even my age to admit you're scared. But I was scared of those rooms. Now, even today, I'm sad to say that occasionally there are strange noises in our house in the middle of the night, and Linda will abruptly wake me and say, did you hear that? And I don't hear anything, as you know. I think you should look into that. And I'm there under my warm blankets thinking, I think you should go look into that. But part of that, if I'm honest, is that if there is a strange noise that I have to deal with, what good is a tennis racket and this little body going to do? So can we just ignore it? Dark rooms, strange rooms, rooms like that are scary, aren't they? We're about to read a story that tells us that Jesus went into a dark room for you and me, a very scary room, so that we wouldn't have to. And because he came out of that room, believe me, that room was scary that he went into, and we're not talking about the tomb. We're talking about death. And he came out, as Mike pointed out, gloriously free. Unlike those other resurrections we read about in Scripture, particularly Lazarus, who was bound and had to be unbound when he was called forth, Jesus came out of the tomb unbound. The linen cloth was folded. The face cloth was there on the on the bench, he was free, not from his grave clothes. He was free from that part of the room that was scary. He was free from death. And you know what? He's never going back to it. Death has no hold on him. That's the story of Luke 24. And Luke wrote this story as he told us at the beginning of this book, as you know, because we just finished Luke's sequel, Acts, so that Christians and those exploring Christianity could know with certainty, that's the word he uses, certainty at the beginning of Luke 1, of the things that happen. And so in light of that remarkable grace, that God wants us to know with certainty the story of the resurrection. I want to draw our attention to three words Luke uses in this account grace notes, if you will, highlights in the account that help us not only be certain of what happened, but respond by faith today. And the first note is the one Mike read earlier, perplexed. Let's look at the passage. On the first day of the week, Early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away. And when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They were perplexed about this. Do you see that word? Perplexed. Put your finger on that word. They were perplexed. 
as we consider what the women saw, Luke wants us to notice the condition of the women in their response that early dawn. You see, in Luke's gospel, really all four of the first four books of the New Testament, the gospel, but in Luke's gospel, since we read about at the very beginning the miraculous circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth, Conceived by the Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Then after a few brief stories about his childhood, we hear of how Jesus preaches the kingdom of God, both in parable as well as through prose. And we've seen him perform many miracles of healing and deliverance. Jesus is at the center of everything that happens in the Gospel of Luke, calling disciples, teaching and instructing, rebuking religious leaders, calming storms, Casting out demons, healing diseases, feeding the multitudes. His living presence dominates every page of Luke's gospel. He's the main point of every page. So when we read this story, we should be perplexed. Because his presence is conspicuously absent from Luke's account. Matthew includes it. The women encounter him. John talks about it. What a moving story of Mary recognizing Jesus there at the tomb when he speaks her name. She falls down. But here, because we're readers of Scripture, and we believe God intended us to note this, his presence is absent. Why? When I was in high school, I had a beloved English literature teacher, Dr. Hemminger. I think, second only to my mother, she's why I graduated from high school. Because though I deserved to fail, she and my tiger mom, hi mom, I know you're watching, made sure I passed Dr. Hemminger's class because it was required for graduation. I was too cool to admit that there's any benefit in reading ancient books and having to learn literary devices and analyze every line in books like Beowulf. The Canterbury Tales? I was more of the Marvel Comics side of literature, if you can call it that. Sorry, Dr. Hemminger, I know you wouldn't. So what seems curious about this passage, if you're reading it, What seems strange if you're looking at what Luke has recorded, inspired as he was writing this almost 30 years after the fact, if scholars are correct, what stands out? What's conspicuous? Jesus is missing. He's absent. What the women saw was not him. They saw... At early dawn, the tomb, they saw that first morning, the bodies missing. They saw and they heard angels speaking to them, but they didn't see him. I imagine for all of us, you are perplexed about something right now. 
in the original language, I think it's fair to say that their perplexity is, could also be, we could use the word senselessness. Senseless. When something doesn't make sense, it's senseless. The recent shootings. Senseless. The loss of life in the last year. Grievously perplexing. Mm -hmm. And then there's the day-to-day senselessness things. The interaction at a checkout counter or the supermarket where it seems like people hate us. Am I wearing something? Technology that's supposed to work but doesn't work when you need to make a presentation before your boss or your principal or your fill-in-the-blank. Senseless, perplexing. A building project where we tried to like do little renovations only to find out like this is the mother of all renovations. Perplexing. You see where I'm going with this? Luke tells us Luke, through the reaction of the women, draws our attention to that the circumstances surrounding the resurrection resulted in the women's perplexity and senselessness, if you will, of it all. As if to invite you into your dark space of senselessness and perplexity. And discover what God in his love is saying to you today, this Easter morning. Tim Keller, in writing for CNN, and then a longer essay that he did for The Atlantic, asked about his battle with pancreatic cancer. said, when I was diagnosed with cancer in 2017, the question, why me, was the natural one. Later, when I survived, but others with the same kind of cancer died, I also had to ask, why me? Suffering and death often seem random and senseless. And he concludes, if God actually explained all the reasons why he allows things to happen as they do, it would be too much for my finite brain. Think of small children and their relationship to their parents. Three-year-olds can't understand most of what their parents allow and disallow for them. They are capable of knowing their parents' love, listen, and therefore capable of trusting them and living securely when they say no. That is what they really need. Now, the difference between God and human parents would be infinitely greater than the difference between a 30-year-old parent and a three-year-old child. So he concludes, I should not be able to expect to grasp all of God's purposes in my suffering, but through the cross and resurrection and gospel of Christ, I can know his love, and that is what I need the most. Tim did not get all the answers to his questions, nor will you. But the answer to the biggest question we have at the core of our being is this. Does the senselessness of Christ's death and the announcement that he is not here 
convince us a little more of God's infinite love for us. And therefore, that changes everything. Do you see the empty tomb? What the angel said. While the women were perplexed about what they saw and didn't see, two angels, Luke tells us in verses 4 through 6, spoke to these frightened ladies. who They bowed their faces to the ground. And the angel said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is not here. He has risen. Verses 4 through 6. Angels in scripture are the holy messengers of God. When they appear to human beings, which does not happen as often as you might think, they are usually robed in radiant Splendor, what Luke calls dazzling apparel. I'm sure for many of you, seeing me wearing a suit today is dazzling in light of what you normally see me wear. But this appearance of these two angels left the women awestruck. As people are, generally, when they encounter angels in Scripture. So they bowed down to worship. The angels mildly, gently rebuked them. Asking them this question, why do you seek the living among the dead? They assumed, as Dave told us in our communion, that he was dead. They weren't expecting a resurrection. That is why they came to the tomb so early in the morning carrying oils and spices for Christ's embalming and the dignified burial of his corpse. They believed that Jesus was still buried. They were looking to Find him among the dead. So when the angels say to the women, he is not here, but has risen. Jesus is not among the dead, but alive. He's acknowledging to them. God is caring for them. Telling them, you're looking for Jesus in the wrong place. Hmm. Boy, does that strike home. Where do you go looking? Where do I go looking for Jesus? When I'm confronted with senselessness and I'm perplexed and I find my soul in those Dark spaces where I am prone to be fearful. I often don't look for him here. I don't look for him in the scripture. I don't look for him in the work of the church that is to be building on the scripture. I don't look for him in the work of scripture in bringing God's presence into our lives that not only shapes us personally, but creates in our community gospel DNA and realities. I look for him elsewhere. And those elsewheres may be good in their own sense, but the good news of this remarkably gracious passage is that when these women were looking for Jesus in the wrong place, among the dead, God sent them a message 
so that they would look for him in the right place and discover him to be alive. How could the women know that what they were saying was true? Jesus was still missing. How could they believe in the resurrection of his body unless they could see Jesus with their own eyes? When I first became a Christian and began to tell my friends and even my family about the faith that I now possess by grace when I came to an understanding that that Jesus Christ died on the cross in my place for my sins, for my rebellion against God and against others, quite frankly. And that he died willingly, lovingly taking the penalty for me and then being buried, dead, was raised gloriously that first Sunday for the forgiveness of my sins. That I might not only repent, turn, but put my trust in him and begin to walk out, albeit imperfectly and haltingly and, and at times not as directly as I should, a relationship with him. Did you notice how the angels try to convince the women at the empty tomb, that they're looking in the wrong place. It's the same message God uses to convince you. When you're looking for Jesus in this situation of senselessness and perplexity and feeling the emotional weight and loss that it brings... It's really been remarkable how God has said the same thing on three consecutive meetings. Remember what Jesus said. Verse 6 and 7. Remember what Jesus said. Do you remember how he told you while he was in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified? And on the third day, arise. We are to believe in the resurrection based on what Jesus said. Amen? We are to believe in the resurrection based on what Jesus said. The empty tomb is not self-explanatory. The word that explains the empty tomb. The word by which we are called to believe in the resurrection the word that has the grace and mercy and power built into it to take my senseless heart and turn it to Christ again is the word we preach every Sunday. But do you believe it? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even if they die. And even John, years later, towards the end of his ministry, 
almost a generation and a half after this story was written. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son, 1 John 5.11. The angels told the women to remember the promises Jesus made on his death, burial, and resurrection. This explains why Jesus is missing from the passage. This explains why the risen Christ does not make a physical appearance, a risen appearance to these women until later in the chapter. Luke shows us first the empty tomb and only later shows us the risen Christ. Because he wants to repeat and emphasize so that you and I would have certainty. That Jesus rose from the dead on the third day because he promised to do so. It's that simple. It's that clear. And it's that empowering when we believe it. Not too long ago, I was doing some networking with some area schools. I happen to be in an elementary school, which they're fun. A lot more fun, I think, than many high school classrooms I observe. And although I didn't really know what I was doing as I was there for a little bit of time, I noticed that, that on the wall, I guess it would be the sill where the heater was, there were a number of these little plastic cups. And in each cup was some dirt. And coming out of the dirt were like these little plants. And I asked one of the youngsters, I said, what are you growing here? And I'm glad they didn't say weed, you know. I forget what they said, potatoes or asparagus, daffodils, I don't know. I, I didn't do well in environmental science. I didn't do well in many of my classes. But the kids were so excited that there in their classroom... They were, as part of their environmental science class, were growing these little plants. And it was growing. Because the scientific elementary teacher was teaching them that there's life in the seed. Yeah, the dirt's important. I'm sure the plastic cup is helpful. They're watering it. But it's the seed. There's nothing wrong with the seed of God's word. There's nothing wrong with the truth of the resurrection. There's nothing wrong with the doctrine of his ascension. There's nothing wrong with Jesus' promise that I will rise again. These words, this promise, this reality is full of life. And that's the best of all possible news, isn't it? Because for people like me, faced with senselessness and perplexity, and we go looking in all the wrong places for life, even in Christ's name, isn't it good to be told on Easter morning, remember what Jesus said, it's true. And when you believe it, new life, new life comes back to you. Oh, it's the best of all possible news. And it's the reason that gives people hope. Hope. 
as they turn to Christ this Easter season, praying for a new heart, for a new beginning, for a fresh start, for forgiveness of sin and removal of guilt and deliverance from shame and the ability to begin to walk with God again. The passage ends, not with the angel's word, but with Peter's response. One word, and I conclude with this. Verse 12, after hearing the report of the women and what they said, it says in verse 12, Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home, there's the word, marveling at what had happened. Peter was marveling at the empty tomb and what he saw and the woman's testimony. Marveling, that word expresses astonishment. And amazement without indicating whether Peter understood the full implications of what he was seeing. I suspect he's still thinking things through. I suspect he's still thinking if Jesus is alive, will he forgive and receive me who denied him three times? There are many good reasons to believe that Jesus is alive. The evidence of history, starting with the empty tomb, the existence of the church, 2,000 years and counting, the worship of Christ on each Sunday, the testimony of the people we meet in the Gospels, the proclamation of Peter later in Acts, where he proclaimed that Christ loosed the pangs of death because it was impossible for him to be held by it. Beyond all this, we have the witness of the rest of the New Testament in the letters. Paul, Romans 8, Jesus was raised. Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, he was raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who had fallen asleep. And then 1 Peter, we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ. But perhaps the greatest witness of all is when a guilty conscience comes to Christ, like Peter. And exercising faith in the grace that Christ is for you. He not only receives you back. His arms are wide and open. He restores you. Having forgiven you at the cross. He restores you. In another passage. John's story of the of the resurrection. He gives the the disciples a message through the women where he says tell Peter and the disciples that I go to your father and my father your god and my god and he drops this word brothers brothers When Peter preaches about the risen Christ in Acts, it's Lord. Someone who conquers death, you're the Lord. But someone who receives the gospel and the gift of grace that it is, 
Oh, we're given a new identity. We're family now. Jesus is our brother. And we do not have to wonder anymore, not only if death will have the last word. No, death has been defeated. But we do not have to wonder anymore if the better ending Jesus intends for your life and mine is possible. Because you're now part of his family through faith in his gospel of grace. One day he will wipe away every tear. But today, may the tears that he wipes away through faith in his promises be the tears of any guilt or shame for sins committed as a Christian or not as a Christian. May the tears that he wipes away be the renewed joy that you belong to God and are a part of his family and not even death can separate you from that. May the wonder and the joy of this Easter be that if the hope of the empty tomb changes everything, then it changes me too. And that is why we sing. In Christ alone, my hope is found. There was a religious man. I think he knew God. who for a season was used by God in his purposes. But when things didn't go his way, he focused on a dying plant, Jonah. You ever find yourself, Christian, focusing on what you've lost, what's dying, what can't be found? But as you know, because we spent a long time in the book of Jonah, God wasn't done with Jonah any more than God's done with us. We're in that space of perplexity and we're looking at the wrong things and everything we see looks senseless and fruitless and dead. He comes to us again with these simple words. Remember what I said. Remember my promise to you. I would be crucified, died, and raised on the third day. God showed mercy to Jonah. God shows a greater mercy to us by focusing us on the living hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this Easter Sunday in reminding us what the women saw what the angels said and how the disciples responded. Lord, we are encouraged to see the difference that the hope of the resurrection can make in our lives today. Lord, I pray that we would each carefully consider 
the claims and words of Christ. And you would help us, Lord, to be sure that the testimony of Jesus himself and the words of these witnesses is true. But most of all, Lord, that the truth of the resurrection would so change our hearts and minds today that we would find in you the grace, the forgiveness, the life that is found through knowing you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's stand.